Stormester skal finde den mindst udulige ah! af de mest udulige. Hej, Mark. Lidt færdig. Sammen to papkasser. Åh, oh, nej, Mark. Må jeg ikke ringe til min mor? Stormester. En chance til. Det er ikke på nogen måde behageligt. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/host. Welcome to NBA Potato Sport. Fredag den 17. marts 2017. Velkommen til en lille special podcast fra os på TV2 Sport. I det her afsnit, der kan du høre fra en af NBA's store stjerner, der for tiden kæmper for en slutspilsplads i Eastern Conference. Navnet er Andrew Drummond, der er startende center hos Detroit Pistons. Og sidste år var han faktisk på besøg hos os fra TV2 Sport, hvor Thomas Bilde fik en længere snak med den 23-årige Big Man. Well, Andrew, welcome. Welcome to Denmark. Good to be here. What do you think so far? I mean, I know you haven't been here for for that long, but uh, first-hand experience of of Denmark. You know, being here for my first time, there's a uh, it's a very cultural place. The place is everything is beautiful here. It was 10 o'clock last night. We're eating dinner, and the sun was still still out. So, uh, you know, it's definitely experiencing me. I'm really glad to be here and, and excited to learn about Denmark. But you're coming here as a superstar. People are looking up to you. I mean, I know you've been used to people looking at you just from your mere size. I mean, you catch the eye of people. But how is it coming to a country where where people now look, oh, here comes the NBA guy. I mean, you're the only one here right now. Uh, how is it living a life like that? It's fun. It's fun for me, but it also comes with responsibilities as well, too, because uh, I have a lot of little kids and a lot of people who look up to me and what I do. So, you know, for me, I kind of just try to be the best role model I can be. That actually takes me back because uh, I want to start somewhere like different because I know it's not been, I'm not going to say easy as it's been hard for you, but f- figuring out to be a basketball player, finding out you actually had talent for this uh, 
I mean, I think you have a pretty cool story and I want to dig into that. The early days, early years of you and sports and maybe just growing up, uh, how was that? How was the life of Drummond? Uh, growing up, basketball definitely was my all-time favorite sport. Was that very good? Absolutely not. Uh, I remember as a little kid, my mom would come to my games and she would bring her friends and they'd call, and they'd call a comedy hour. Like they'd, they'd come to just to watch me play to see how I fall all over the place, I'll trip, I'll shoot over the hoop and just, it was all bad. And then, uh, you know, one day my mom and I sat down when I was probably going to middle school and I asked her, I was like, you know, what do I need to do to be better? My mom doesn't know anything about basketball. She's from Jamaica, so all she knows is soccer and, you know, cricket and things like that. And she always told me just, you know, just continue to work on your game, just play hard. And she got me a membership at the YMCA, which is like five miles away from my house. And I walked there every day and I'd play from 8 a.m. to about 12, 12 at night. But why? I mean, if you were if you were that bad that people call it comedy hour, what was the love? I mean, what was so interesting, so fascinating? You know, for me, I was just so determined to be good because I was always bigger than everybody. So everybody expects, you know, he's the biggest kid. He's obviously has to be good, but I never was. And for me, I wanted to be good that bad where I just wanted to work and just continue to play until it really fell through for me. And I'll go to that gym every day and I'll just play. I'll play against older kids, kids my age, and I'll just keep going until till they kick me out of the gym. What I think is really cool uh, about your story is that, I mean, there's not a lot of big, big guys like you, but there's a lot of big kids that makes that growth spurt early. And you see them, they kind of dug over, they're kind of like maybe ashamed that they're tall and they, they kind of stand out. Was that ever the situation with you or were you yeah. comfortable being the big guy? You know, I was in the fifth grade, I was six foot. So just think about that. A bunch of kids, it's like four, nine, get, starting to touch five feet. And then there's me at six foot already mm -hmm. in the fifth grade. And, you know, I would like kind of try to blend it with my friends, try to duck my head down a little bit and like try to, just try to be around my friends. But it never really worked out because I was just so big that it was noticeable. Like <laughs> I was a six foot kid, couldn't really sit at my desk. They had to make a special desk for me at my school. Uh, I never made the basketball team. So I was that was also another laughing stock thing for me. Cause I wasn't good. But, uh, you know, when I got to middle school, my body started to come together a little bit, started getting more coordinated. And I kind of accepted how big I was, you know, in the eighth grade, I was six, I was six, six. I was, I was huge. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so I kinda, you, you knew you were big. Yeah, I, I, after that, I kind of embraced it. I embraced it. I knew I was going to, I was going to be tall. So I kind of embraced it and just went through with it. Still try to have fun while I could. I got in trouble more times than my friends did because I was the biggest kid. Like, hey, the biggest kid in the school is out of class. We need to go get him. <laughs> so that's what all the big people say. It's always blame the big kid, big guys. <laughs> but looking at you now, I mean, if I was to describe you as a basketball player, I would say from sheer size, what you do athletically. I mean, how you move, how you run. I mean, that's what makes you really special. Uh, and that kind of doesn't really, you know, fit into the picture of you early on with the basketball when you were kind of goofy and maybe running the wrong way on the on the basketball court. Uh, at what time did it kind of, you know, hit? Was that middle school or is there a certain time where you can? It really it hit for me probably after my freshman year of high school. I mean, even even in high school, my, my freshman year, I'll never forget this day. It was like the most embarrassing moment of my life. Uh, it was my first ever high school game, made the varsity team. It's the first basketball team I ever made being in school. So, you know, it's my first game I'm out on the floor, you know, having fun. So the first quarter goes around, I'm scoreless. Second quarter comes around, so it's around that eight minute mark. We played 10 minute quarters in my, in my town and 
eight minute mark, I get a steal at half court. The whole gym is packed. It's like the it's like the best tournament in the, in the in the state to be in. So everybody's there. You can think all celebrities, just all te- different type of people were there. And I get a steal. I'm on a fast break. I get to the free throw line, and out of nowhere, I kick the ball out of my hand and hit an old lady in the face. <laughs> like kick, like really hard too. Like I'm, I took one more dribble, getting ready to take off. Everybody stands up and just kick the ball and. Hit a lady in the face, she dropped a drink. It was it was bad. <laughs> it, was, it was really bad. And after after that game, what's your mama say? She was laughing. <laughs> she found it amusing. But you know, after that, you know, my my sophomore year of high school came around, and out of nowhere, my body just decided to start working. I don't I don't know what it was. I never. It was not one thing I just did. I mean, I've always played the same way and worked hard. But you know, my balance and like my coordination kind of just came together in my sophomore year of high school, and that's kind of when things took off for me. Before we take that next step, your best memories from that time, uh, like childhood memories, does that revolve or around, survive, uh, revolve around basketball, or is it like totally different thing? Is that life in general, just growing up, playing with other kids, or is your best memories always, you know, some way connected with basketball? Yeah, I think all my, all my best memories I have always been connected with basketball. Or that with my family, either one of those two. But more times than not, my my greatest memories were basketball. And your one best memory then from that time was that making that first team, or was it your first basket, your first dunk? What would be the best? I think making my first dunk was one of my best memory. Remember when that was? I was 12. You got up there? Or was it? Uh, I mean, just it was a like a, I, I got it in there. Let's put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> then you start moving. Uh, around. I mean, you, you started out living in just outside New York and move up to Connecticut, but you also switched schools and there was a, I mean, I've been reading up and there's a lot of talk about the different schools and how was that whole situation starting the recruitment process? Because uh, it kind of started early, I feel yeah. like, with you. You know, for me, like I said, after after my freshman year, it's kind of when a buzz started getting around my name. I went to Capitol Prep in Hartford and then I played my first year and then uh after I started getting to the point where it started getting too easy for me with the kids I was playing with, my AAU coach said, you know, you might want to think about switching schools because, like, this is, you're not going to get any better playing against kids that are 5'8 and you're 6'8, six, 6'9 six, running around out there scoring every time you touch the ball. What did you think about that when he said that? Did I, mean, you I, want I, to I mean, I was like, man, you know, my friends, are, like, obviously, I'm, I'm a kid. So, like, my friends are here. I don't want to leave them behind and go somewhere else and start all over again. But I really wanted to be that good at basketball where I made that sacrifice. And I said, all right, well, what's the plan? Like, what are we going to do? And, you know, we talked about, my mom and I talked about different boarding schools. And, you know, we visited different places. And we came to St. Thomas More, which is in Oakdale, Connecticut, surrounded by nothing but trees, a lake, and a fake beach they made. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got there. and. I met the head coach, Jerry Quinn, which now is probably my favorite coach of all time and one of my closest friends. You know, we met Jerry Quinn, and I, and I went there, and you know, I shook his hand, we sat down. And he said, you're not here to play basketball, I'm here to make you a man. And after he said those words to me, I, I fell in love with the place. I took it to around the school, you know, I met his son, and then a couple of the kids were on campus, and then I ended up going there, and then that's kind of where my career kind of just took off. I don't know all the stories on you on that behalf, but what I've read up and what I've kind of gotten a feel of, 
is that there's a lot more to you than the typical American basketball player, or not, I would, not even basketball, but American, you know, that I want to be the best, I want to be on top. Yes, you want to be good, but you don't, it feels like you don't want to step on people too, that there's a, should we call it a softer side? That could be manly, to have a softer side, but is that, is that how you see yourself? that you really care about other people on the way up? Uh, yes. Or is this just something that you would say to, to sound right? You know, for me, I'd, I have a really big heart. Let's put it like that, I have a really big heart. I care for a lot of people. You know, if I meet somebody and you catch my attention, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show appreciation or I'm gonna, you know, put, give the help a hand if I think you need help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I, I'm just, just like my mom is, if I could give somebody my last, last dollar, I give it to them. And that's just the way I was, I was raised. So if you want to call it a softer side, you can go with that. I just say I'm just a... Softer side is a positive. Yeah, <laughs> how's it go kind-hearted? <laughs> the recruitment process then of a, of a kind-hearted uh, guy that uh, doesn't really want to leave his family but also want to be the best, when those letters start coming in, you know, the rec- people start telling you're good, you can do this, you can do that. But you've always also been the laughing stock or comedy hour, as you call it. How was that transition and, and just like experiencing going from that to that? You know, it was, it was literally like a, a 360 for me, you know, coming from people who laughed at me playing basketball. Even my own family would make fun of me while I played basketball. Friends would make fun of me. They're, They're not like, getting cars now, are they? Huh? They're not getting cars now, the no. ones who laughed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> you know, from like having no friends, people not wanting to hang out with me to being the number one player in the nation for four straight years and having everybody and their friends wanting to be around me. You know, it was difficult because I never really knew who was there for my best interest. I never really knew who wanted to be my friend, just be my friend or they want to be around because like I'm hanging out with the number one player in the country. So me going to St. Thomas More really helped me grow as a man and kind of isolated me from all that, all those type of things and really grew bonds with the kids that lived on that campus because that's all I had for, for, I went to school for three years, for three straight years, and probably the best decision I made going there. Uh, obviously, you made the right de- uh, decisions uh, looking at where you are now, but is there at one point where I said, I should have done this, or uh, maybe I should have gone there, or I should have taken this challenge, or do you feel that this is the exact path that you needed to both grow and uh, and also develop uh, as a player and a man. I think I made. I I don't think I regret anything I've done. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I went through high school, graduated pretty close to the top of my class. You know, did very well academically, basketball wise. You know, speaks for itself. I think I should have taken the recruiting process a little bit more serious. But you know, growing up, my mom didn't. When, nobody in my family's went to college. It was just. High school and everybody went to work and then you know one of my cousins went to college and played But he never really panned out. So then there was I was the only one left So it's like so nobody got too excited with like, you know, all oh, this is great the glitz and glamour everybody wants to talk about me, but We don't want to get too excited because we don't know what's going to come of this because nobody else has made it for my family so you know when it was time to decide it was like Probably like three or four weeks before our college semester started. I'm just sitting there I had a decision to either go back to high school or go to college. So mind you, I said it's three weeks. Mm-hmm. And you need, most people take months to get acclimated in the school. So I'm sitting there, you know, my mom and I, I have uh, some of my close close friends in my AU coach there, and we're discussing, you know, what makes more sense. So I go back to high school, enter the draft next year, 
or do I go to college and try to go from there? We went back and forth, back and forth, and then we ended up deciding I'm gonna go to college. So what, what, what made the tip that way? Because, I mean, I've gotten to a point where I was playing at the top of my game. I was 17 years old playing against 21, 22-year-old kids, and I was, I was dominating. So I said, like, all right, well, what's the next best level to be at? And it's college. I, I couldn't go to the NBA from there. But that, that prep school you were thinking about, was that more to please people then? Or was that just like maybe hiding away and just getting ready for the NBA? Or, uh, I mean, what made the switch from that? The other high school? Yeah. Because I was playing against older kids. I wasn't playing against, I wasn't playing against 15, 16 year old kids. I was the youngest kid to ever play mm-hmm. in a prep school with 20, 20, 22 year old kids. So when I went there and played, you know, I got obviously better come playing against older kids. So when I decided to go to college, the next issue was, where am I going to go? <laughs> so what's next? Like, what do I do? And, you know, all these different, we're looking at a pile of letters, probably like four or five big suitcases full of college letters. Just how, like, how many letters come in? I mean, people here in Denmark don't know I mean, about, have letters they, they in my know house about now. this recruiting process at all. I mean, they just know that they hear about it and, and you know, they see these movies and how, how is it? No, it's real. Like, what you see in the movies is real. Like, all the letters you see having college coaches sit in front of your practices and watch you play, them showing up at your house. You know, I had John Calipari come to my house, had Jim Calhoun come to my house, who used to coach at UConn, who I actually played for. Mm-hmm. You know, Billy Donovan from Florida came to my house. I mean, you go on the list of all the top coaches in college basketball, they came to my front doorstep. And you don't really see that for most, most people. You don't expect to see that. Like, hey, how you doing? Jim Calhoun in front of your doorstep. I'm not, I'm Does it get every day? Like, is it was it like, oh, just another coach popping by, or was no, it? No, I mean, it was, it, I, there was a time period where I gave coaches a chance to come by and you know give their give their rap. So I was really loyal to UConn. Cause I went to all their games. I became really close friends with like Stanley Robinson, Hashim be you know Jerome Dyson, Kimball Walker. Obviously, he's from my area. So that was actually at the top of my list going to UConn. So we looked at different options. If it, had, if it hadn't been UConn, where would it have been? Would have been Kentucky, in, probably Kentucky. Kentucky? Yeah. So you would have gone away from, from yeah. home? You know, after we decided UConn, you know, the, the tricky part was trying to get a hold of the coach. So I'm calling Jim Calhoun. It's probably about midnight, calling his phone, trying to get it across to him. This is after they just won the championship, too. So I'm sure everybody's still celebrating and, you know, getting ready for school. So I call his phone, no answer, call him about four or five times. No answer. So I'm like, all right, well, this is, this is tough. How do I get it out? So at the time, I, my, my, I get on Twitter, I grab my cell phone, I say, you know, I'm, I'm getting my cell phone. So I write like this long message, I said, you know, I hereby declare that I'm gonna go to the University of Connecticut, I'm gonna be a Husky. So one of my friends, Alex Oriaki, who played on the team, calls me like, are you, like, I just read your tweet, are you serious, are you coming here? I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to find coach, but I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know what else to do, so I had to tweet it. And I forgot I had his number, so he so he called me. He's like, "All right, well, I'm gonna get a hold of coach right now. We got to get this done." Andre, this is unreal. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, I tweeted it out. I get a call from one of the guys on the team, and like they're going crazy in the background. The whole the whole team is together, so they hear they hear me say like, "I'm coming to school." So everybody's going crazy. Like almost broke my eardrum how, how loud they were yelling. And uh, and I get a phone call from Jim Calhoun probably about an hour later. So now it's like two thirty in the morning. So I'm sitting there. So I'm like, "Look, you know." Uh, I've decided that I want to come and play for you. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, well, this is gonna, it's gonna be tough because we have no scholarships left. So he said, you know, we could do this one of two ways. Either you take financial aid and be a walk-on, or you wait another year. 
I was like, I can't play another year in high school. I was like, I just gotta, I'll just take that risk. I'll just, I'll be a walk-on. I'll come, I want to come and play for you. And knowing that it was probably one of his last years too, because he was really sick at the time too. I was like, I really wanted to play for him. So, you know, I get to school. So I, I had to take the long route. I had to go through all the financial aid and all these different things to get on campus. And I got red flagged, obviously, by the NCAA, because what number one player in the country is a walk-on for any school, and when I can go anywhere I want to. But I genuinely really wanted to play for him. But nobody understood that, so I had to sit out for about a month until they got it, it cleared up. Did it cost you money to be it a walk-on? It did. A lot, actually. <laughs> Quite a bit. And, uh, you know, ended up working out. I ended up getting to play. I had a decent year. made it to the... To the, uh, to the, what's it called, to the tournament. Yeah, but I, I don't get it, though. I mean, I get it. I get it, and that's what I really liked about reading up on you, but I don't get that you would go that much out of the way to be, and you could say kind-hearted again, but do the right thing. I mean, not taking a scholarship away from another kid or another Yeah, player. I had the option to do that. I mean, he was going to take a kid's scholarship. I said, don't do that. And the kid's scholarship that he was going to take ended up being my best friend in college was DeAndre Daniels. I bet. I mean, I'd be your best friend if you didn't take my scholarship. I mean, he didn't know, he didn't know that, nor did I really know who was going to take it, but I ended up finding out it was him. And he, he and I became really close in college, and I was like, man, I, I would never want to take this opportunity from you because most people couldn't do the things I could have did. Mm -hmm. So, long story short, I played my, played my year out at UConn. We lose in the first round of the tournament to Iowa State. You know, then there's the next decision, like, do I go back to school or do I declare for the draft? But, but hold on on the college part. How was that then? The different part about, yeah, college, about playing against, I mean, the, the same age kids that you played against in high school or prep school, but, but now on a bigger stage with four national champions, uh, coming in a lot of expectations. Uh, you know, for me, for me coming in being, I was, like I said, the number one player in the nation and then winning the national championship just past year, the past year, we had a bullseye on our back right away. So every team came at us every way, each, every night. So for me, it was like, I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I'm on a bigger stage now. And I'm with a team that I've never played with before. So now I got to find out how to get these guys to like me. So, you know, I would, do, I would go in the gym every night, work on my game, and just try to get better whenever my number was called. You know, I would I'd be ready to play. And, you know, I came off the bench the first, like, three or four games. And then after the preseason, I ended up starting the regular season game. I was shocked. I was like, wow. <laughs> like, All right, well, he really has this much faith in me. I bet you still have fun playing, but I guess it's also more of a job now, uh, or it is a job now, and a hobby. But at what point uh, did it kind of change for you? Was that in college you knew, okay, I have to do this and this, I have to stay sharp, or was it still, I mean, this is what I love to do? Uh, or did you know, like, this is a step in the plan, and this is, we're going this direction now? You know. My AU, my AU coach and I was were really tight. He was like sort of a father figure to, to my to me, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a plan. Play my year at UConn, see how it goes. But our end goal is to get to the NBA. And after I played my year out, you know, we sat down at the end of the end of the end of the season. And we're like, all right, well, what, are we, what are we doing? You know, I told him I said I wasn't comfortable with how I played the year. I didn't really, play, I don't think I played well. But I was still hearing buzz that I was going to be a top ten player in the draft. So I'm like, all right, well, do I take that risk or do I go back another year and try to have a better year? And, you know, I decided to just bet on myself. It was a pretty good draft. Uh, well, not you, a bad draft. You went in, and there's a lot of players also taking 
a lot further down the list who are still. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know, I know my draft class like the back of my hand. Yeah. Who, who surprised you most in that class then? I mean, who surprised looking, me most? Yeah, uh, like positive. Who's who's been some of the, the guys Lillard. in that Damon draft? Lillard. Yeah, definitely for sure. Who's that? Sorry, Damon Lillard. Yeah, yeah. Portland was for sure. He was very good. Uh, I mean, Anthony Davis. Everybody knows he was going to be pretty good. Probably just Dame. He's probably the really only surprise I had. Like big time. Yeah, like the year that he's having, years that he's had. Your year at, at UConn, which was, I mean, I'm not saying your was a disappointment, but winning and then getting the number one and then kind of going out in the first round. How how close were you on, on staying a second year? And also looking at that draft class, because uh, you kind of knew which guys were, yeah. were out there. You know, uh, no players ever left after one year in UConn, like in the history of UConn, the school that nobody's ever left after one year. So for me, I'm Jim Cajon is thinking, all right, well, he's coming back because that's not what guys do to me. They don't just leave after one year. <laughs> so, you know, in, in my exit meeting with him, I'm sitting there and I'm nervous as hell. My Jim Cajon is, is Jim. I don't want to disappoint him, man. It's like. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him. He's giving me all these different things. Like, you know, you're going to be this, you're going to have this role, this and that role next year when you come back. And I stopped him. I said, look, coach, I was like, you know, I love you to death. I know that you really want me here, but I think I'm going to just take this next step and go to the NBA. And he paused and just looked at me. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I got, I have to get out of here. I got to, I got to go. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to better myself and take it to the next level. I'm really I'm really looking forward to doing this. Mm-hmm. And he says, you th- do you think you're ready? I said, no, <laughs> I don't. But the will I be? I said, yeah, I'm gonna have to be. Yeah. And it's, he said, you know what? I don't support this, but since you really want to do this, I'm gonna I'm stick behind you. I'm gonna help you get the best, best training you can get until that time. I ended up working out in New York. Uh, I worked out for five teams, the top five teams, except for uh, except for what's called in New Orleans. So I worked out for Washington, Portland, SAC, uh, Golden State, and who else did I work out for? I'm missing one more. Well, you're Cleveland. 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 But, 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 but talk about that then, because that's, I mean, that's kind of off limits for us over here. We, we hear about this recruitment process. We hear about your recruitment meetings that you go in and you talk to these What's going through your mind at this time? I mean, what, what team were you rooting for? Was it Boston since they were close? Was it New yeah. York? Or what, what team were you? I mean, my main, my main focus was just trying to get to the green room. I wasn't worried about who was going to draft me. I just was focused on getting to the, to the green room, trying to get, get drafted, because I've heard anywhere from 2 to 10 is where I was going to get drafted from. I heard I wasn't going to leave out of, the, out of the fifth pick. But so uh, the night before the draft, you know, I get a phone call from my agent. He says, this is about two in the morning. I'm sleeping. I'm like, why is he calling me? I get a phone call. He says, you know, uh, Detroit wants to work you out. Looking at him, Detroit has a ninth pick. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not falling to nine. Why would I want to work out for them? I was like, no. I said, no, I'm not getting up at two in the morning to work out for a team I'm not falling to. So they wanted you to get up at that time? Yeah, and work out. And I was like, no. I was like, I'm not getting up. I was like, for what? I'm not, like, I know I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to fall anywhere close to, to nine. So why would I get, work out for it? That's a waste of time. He's like, just do it. He's like, it's going to be a good look just in case things fall that way. So we go back and forth. We go back and forth. And I was like, all right, fine. So I get up. So now it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm at, 
I'm at uh, Equinox in New York. We're at the gym, working out in the back gym. So it's me, George David, and Joe, Joe Dumars. And uh, I finish my workout and I sit down. So George David's on my left and Joe's on my right. My agent's sitting behind me. So Joe goes, if you fall to nine, just know you have a home. So I look at him and just is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being cocky now. Like I'm, I just heard him be nowhere further than five. So like, why, why am I listening to this guy? Like, I'm like, thanks, appreciate it. And little do I know, there's a whole bunch of works going on in the background to where I ended up falling to them. Yeah. So we get to the green room, I'm sitting there with my mom, my agent, my uncle, my little sister are next to me. So the number one pick, obviously, no, Anthony Davis. Going on the list number two was, uh, was Washington. Goes to Bradley Beal. I was like, okay, I didn't really have that good of a workout for Washington anyway, so I wasn't worried. So the third pick was, who am I missing? The third pick was Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I had a really good workout in Charlotte. They choose Michael K. Gilchrist. So now I'm getting hot. So <laughs> I start I start sweating. I'm like, I'm like, damn, all right, well there goes two you teams. Get, you getting mad or you getting nervous? No, I'm like getting nervous. I'm yeah. like, all right, well now that those are two teams I know that I, I did pretty well for. So that 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 kind of hurt a little bit. So the fourth pick comes around. And I was kind of unsure about Cleveland because they already had Tristan Thompson and they already they already had a center already. So I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe they'll pick me, maybe they won't. So they picked Deion Waiters. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, fine. So the fifth pick, so I'm excited now. So I'm like, all right, well, this is me. I'm going to SAC. <laughs> like, I'm going to Sacramento. So um, I'm sitting there. The guy has a hat. Usually there's a guy with a hat, and he walks to the area where the person going to get drafted. So the fifth pick, the NBA draft, Sacramento Kings, he walks past me. I was like, like he walks past me, Thomas Robinson. I said, no. I was like, what gives? What is this? <laughs> so now, now I'm starting to get emotional. So now we're at six. So I had a decent workout at Portland, and they said, you know, we really like you. You know, the guy was ended up being on the other side of the room. I was like, all right, well, I'm not getting picked by Portland either. Six pick goes to Damon Lillard. So what you're doing is you're actually looking for that guy with I'm looking, the cap. I'm looking for that, see where he's at. <laughs> <laughs> like, where is he, where, why is he walking away from me? So the seven pick goes around Golden State, and I, I remember clearly said, if you fall to us, we will pick you. <sighs> guy with the hat ends up behind me. You know, with seven pick of the 2012 draft, Golden State Warriors choose... Harrison Barnes. <laughs> so now I start crying. So now I'm sitting there crying. I'm looking at my mom like, this is ridiculous. Like, now we're at seven. I still haven't been picked yet. Yeah. So I get a phone call. I get a phone call. I look at a number. It's a Detroit number. I don't know how that number. I don't know anybody in Detroit. So why, why am I answering this phone call? So I answer it. At the table. So I'm at the there. table. Yeah, I'm just yeah. I mean, usually you can't see when somebody's yeah. on the phone. So I'm on the phone. So I said, hello, who's this? He said, it's Joe Dumars. I said, okay, hi. He said... How do you feel? I said, well, I'm crying now. <laughs> so, <laughs> he says, well, you know, if you fall to nine, just know you have a home. Yeah. I was like, okay. So the next pick is Toronto Raptors. The guy with the hat is standing next to me now. I'm like, okay, well, Toronto, they had a pretty good year last year, so I'm getting myself mentally prepared to go to Toronto. I got to get a passport. Now I never had a passport before. <laughs> so, so He's there next to me with the hat. So, with the eighth pick of the 2012 draft, the Toronto Raptors choose Terrence Ross. So now this is when I start getting, I get really emotional. I start losing it because now I know I'm getting picked now. So I know for a fact I'm about, I'm going somewhere. So I get another phone call and it's, it's Mason, the guy that's on the microphone. And he says, you know, I'm on the phone with our draft pick, Andre Drummond, and like, 
the cheers and the screams that I heard in that background in the arena, like it was like the most unforgivable, like forgettable moment I've ever had in my life. Like the excitement that crowd had just knowing that I was coming to play for them. Like there was not, there was not another moment like that. And bigger, I, bigger than when the Connecticut guys. Yeah, heard. like it was insane. So the ninth pick rolls around. There's a commercial break. So the guy with the hat is just wandering around. So I'm like, all right, I hope he's not lying to me. He's just walking around. So, you know, David Stern comes out. And this is the big moment for me. Because, like, nobody get this is David Stern's last year, mind you. So guy with the hat starts wandering around. He starts coming a little closer to me. So David Stern gets on the mic, you know, with the ninth pick of the, um, with the 2012 draft, the Detroit Pistons select Andre Drummond from the University of Connecticut. So I get the hat, so like, so now I'm excited now. So I'm like, all right, you know, I give my mama a hug and kiss, say, say hi to my sister, and shake my agent's hand. So now I'm on stage, and this is like the best moment ever now. I'm about to, this is like, I'm shaking David Stern's hand. That's a moment most people don't really get to have. Mm-hmm. So I'm shaking his hand, and I remember, the, I'll never forget these words he said to me. He said, you're gonna be a special player in this league. Like, looked me in my eyes and said that, and I just looked at him. I said, all right. Shook his hand, came down, did the interview, went around, did all the press. I'm shaking, I'm, you know, dabbing all the other guys up that were drafted already. Mm-hmm. And then it's off to the races from there. Who's the first one you called afterwards? Oh, who, who was the first one calling you? It's beside, I mean, of course, greeting your family and stuff, but... I mean, I couldn't even look at my phone. I probably had like 5,000 messages just from random people that I wasn't even trying to deal with. I ended up changing my number the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even give them the time of day, so I changed it the next day, and I just really kept, kept, my, I kept my circle really tight, so... Who's the most important then to, to share this joy with? I my mean, mom. I know your mom had a big influence, both that's, on your upbringing I, and that's life. That's all I had. Yeah. That's all I had was my mom. My mom, my little sister, that was it. You know, uh, that moment can never, can be taken. And that's, that was it. That's the moment that, that we've talked about as a little kid. And you know, my mom always told me, you know, just always stay humble and good things will happen to you. I once talked to, uh, to Vince Carter in a, in a, in a sit down and, and he, you know, I, w- I was asking him, best memory? I mean, what was, what's the best things that you, you've done in the NBA? And I was sure he's going to say 2,000, you know, that, that dunk contest yeah. in, in Oakland. And he goes, no, being drafted. You know, that getting in there. And then I remind, I thought you were going to say, yeah, okay, that was, that was pretty special too. But yeah. his first response was, the, was that handshake and just getting drafted. Why is that so special? I mean, I know it is, you made it. I know that part. But, but it's, so, just a, it's a unique moment, man. It's just a... Uh... It's that moment to solidify that you did your job. After, like, you just like kind of like walking down memory lane, walking to that stage, getting ready to shake his hand. Like you're thinking about all the things you've done as a kid, all the things you did throughout high school, college, middle school, all those years of playing basketball, and to finally make it to that stage to shake this man's hand. Because those those are moments you talk about with your friends. Like you know, what would it be like to shake David Stern's hand mm-hmm. and just have an NBA team's hat on your head? Like that's a moment that people dream about and like and just just kill to have. And for me to do that. It's just a real special moment. Then Detroit. I mean, it's had their trouble uh, financially, yeah. uh, going bankrupt. And what do you think about going there? I mean, they've won the championship, so they had some history, uh, or they have a lot of history. Uh, but but going there, I mean, it's it's kind of far away from home, but it's still. I mean, it's still the yeah. Eastern Conference. But what was your reaction to that? 
you know, I didn't really know much about Detroit till I actually got there and I got to, I got to see it for myself and it was it was rough. It was definitely rough and I'm you know, I'm a kid from New York, so I've seen I've seen just as worse, so I just felt like just coming there was just a situation where I needed to try to make better. And I said in my press conference too, I said I'm here, I'm here to help. Nothing else. And you stayed there your rookie contract and now it's uh it's about time to get paid and, and get in that new contract and, and every you don't have to talk about it, but everything is pointing in the direction of you staying in Detroit. How happy have you been? I mean Going there. I'm not sure you would have picked, if you could have picked between the 30 teams at that time, I'm not sure you would have picked Detroit. Absolutely, no. Uh, but now that, that you've had the experience and you're kind of forced there, uh, how's it been and, and how's that situation treated you? You know, my, just going to my fifth year now, my first year having four coaches changes in my five years now, and now having one coach with Stan Van Gundy, but My first year, I had Lawrence Frank, you know, didn't really play much, kind of was in and out, still had a somewhat successful year. I made the rookie-sophomore game still. I was, uh, like, number four in the, like, the rookie ladder of making uh, rookie of the year. You know, my second year is kind of when things started getting a little better for me. I started playing a lot more. I ended up starting. And then my third year, I mean, you can go down the list of the achievements. I've broken a lot of rebounding records. You know, uh, field goal percentage record I broke in Detroit. Have, have you had the? Have you been comfortable enough to wait it out and say my time is? I mean, you started out too. Yeah. You got to remember, play with Greg Monroe, who you know obviously took his amount of rebounds, and you guys were kind of sharing minutes. And you couldn't decide if you wanted to go with two bigs or switch around, but you were kind of rushed into it. Yeah. Uh, and but it still it takes time to to get adjusted. It does, you know. Uh, I have Roy Rogers as a big man coach, and he would always tell me, "Just you gotta wait, wait for your time to come." I mean, things just don't happen. You gotta work, you gotta work for your moment, and you always gotta stay prepared because you never know when something's gonna happen. You don't know if somebody's gonna get hurt or somebody is in foul trouble and they're gonna need you to play. Mm-hmm. So he'd always tell me to stay prepared. So I'd always spend that extra hour after practice just working on my game, getting better, and working on different things. And over time. You know, the head coaches would see how much work I put in, and they they trust me enough to play me, and know that I'd be able to contribute in some way. Were you happy that Monroe was traded? Not to lose a teammate and a friend, but to lose a you know a, a guy who's at least taken some of your minutes. Honestly, I know I was not I wasn't happy at all. Not only because he's a friend of mine, but I feel like we we worked really well together. Not partly we did clog we clogged the paint up. I mean, basketball speaking now. We did clog the paint up, but we did work very well together on both ends of the floor. But me losing him kind of really opened me up, and it kind of gave me the light, and ended up playing really well. What's been your uh, What's been your greatest achievement so far? You think, or most important achievement? Most important achievement. Probably won the MVP of the rookie sophomore game. Because uh, I was upset actually that year. I was in that game because I felt like I should have been in the All-Star game. And you know, on the plane right down with my mom, I told her I was going to win the MVP for her. So that was more of an emotional game for me. I went out there and I broke the rebound record in that game too. And I had 30 and 20, 26. 
There's a lot of shots in that game too, though. It was a lot of, <laughs> a lot, a lot of threes. It was like a three-point contest that game too. So, you know, I was determined. And I said it in the locker room too. Like everybody knew what I was, what I was here for. Like when I walked in, I said, I don't know what you guys are here for, but I'm here to win the MVP. I just left it at that. Kind of like Bird in that three-point contest a long time ago. Uh, Andre, how much, when you got drafted number nine, how much have you taken out on the, the top eight teams? Is that something people say, or is that actually something you noted down that, hey, when I'm playing, not New Orleans, but Sacramento yeah. or Portland, uh, I'm getting after these guys since they overlook. I mean, every, every team is going gonna, is gonna to deal with me every night, but if you look at my numbers against those teams, though, It'll speak for itself. <laughs> <laughs> goals, we're getting close. Goals on and off the court. I mean, you made the All NBA team. You, you've, you've proven yourself at the international level. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of things. I mean, there's still a lot of room to improve, and that's what I've been talking about to the media here when, when we, we mentioned that Andre Drummond is coming to Denmark. I mean, I think you're a great player, and, and you've proven that, but there's also so much room to be even better, yeah. and that's what I think is kind of scary, uh, too, and you're only 22 years old. I mean, what's your goals, uh, both on and off the court? You know, for me, just to continue to build on what I've been working on the past couple of years, just working on my game. I mean, nothing really specific, just trying to mold myself into the player I need to be to be the best I can be. and off the floor, just continue to maintain my body, eating right, and just taking care of my family. Cool. I have a, a handful of what I call fun questions. It uh, doesn't have to be too deep, or, but what does people not know about you? Is there anything they don't know about you? I know you're a good video gamer. Uh, I know you, I wouldn't say a mama's boy, but your mama was a... No, I did, there's no going around that. I'm 100% a mama's boy. <laughs> 100%. Is, is there something we don't know? Uh, I DJ. You DJ? Quite a bit. Ooh, gonna get that going. Biggest uh, misconception of, uh, of Andre Drummond? Something that people think of you and then they meet you and, uh, and they be like, Oh, is he like that? Uh, I'm very, I'm very cold. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm cold. I just, I like to feel people out. Well, let's say that. But once you, once you, once you get to know me, I might be the best person to be around. Can I be honest? This is the NBA guy, right? We're gonna talk to. And I said, I mean, we talked to you at the All Star game, and I, it's different with the, with all the cameras. And I said, I don't know. I mean, he, he's quiet, and I don't know. I mean, and I'm sitting there, I'm about to write you an email and say, this is, this is awesome. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really, and I was reading up on you, and that's what I told him before you got here too, that there's a good story here. Uh, and as I told you in Copenhagen, I think it's, it's remarkable, you know, that you give up, that's, or not, not take that scholarship away, and, and some of this, the things you've done to get to where you are. And I, I, uh, I mean, it couldn't be more right. Uh, I don't know if it's rude. I don't know how to call it that. Just, just, yeah. yeah, we'll go with that. I love it, and I'm happy that the Danish viewers will see you and see that other side of you. Uh, which question is the one you get all the time, uh, which you're getting sick and tired of talking about? Is there anything specific that that I mean? It could be anything from personal life to about your mama or whatever. Is there anything that, that irritates you more? Do you play basketball? <laughs> you're tall. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. You're, you're tall. How tall are you? So that, that's the one where... Or, or somebody pulls up their cell phone and say, you're Andre Drummond, right? It has a picture of my face in front of the screen. I just look at him like, what, 
I'm not gonna tell you no. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, you obviously know. So why, why do I need to have this dialogue with you? Just introduce yourself. Who was your favorite player growing up? Well, you, Sean, you Sean only, Kemp. You, you're looking at college guys at that time. You said no. you were going to a lot of those games. Or Sean Kemp was my Sean favorite. Kemp? Yeah, that's how I'm out of my game after. Rain Man. Yes. Biggest influence in life? We kind of touched that. It's got to be your mom. Mom. Yeah. And uh, favorite favorite candy food? Is Reese's. There a, Reese's. What's that? Reese's. Reese's. Ooh. Yeah. You bring them along? You can get them here. I can get them here. Yeah, you can get them here. I haven't had one in a while. But I need to get one. <laughs> Andre Drummond, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for your honesty and, and talking to us. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 